0: Mission sequence
1: start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero... Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you've got ideas for future episodes, please contact us. There are two easy ways to do so. You can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or you can tweet at us, at sfdiocese, and use the hashtag ignition. Again, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Been in that role since 2002, so depending on when you're listening to this, that could have been decades ago, but <laughs> well, it is almost, well, a decade-plus ago now. Um, my wife, Jermaine, and I have lived in Sioux Falls since then, and we have five kids, all of them born and raised in sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. How's that for alliteration, Father Joseph Scholten? Illiterate. Maybe li- not accurate, all the time. <laughs> not all the time, not yeah. lately, my goodness. Today's nice. Father, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? I'm Father Joseph Schulton. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Sioux Falls. So That's why I called you Father. Born, Born and just, raised. Yeah. 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 Yes, I'm yeah.
0: not your dad. No. no. Yeah. Uh, spiritually, maybe. You are my dad, spiritually. I, uh, I've been a priest for a year and some months at the time of this recording. I serve as the parochial vicar at St. Lambert Parish and the chaplain of O'Gorman Catholic High School. Go Knights.
1: How is that being the chaplain at your alma mater?
0: It's uh, it's funny. You know, I I went to school in mostly in the the old building, which is now demolished and utterly destroyed.
1: <laughs> much, so, much, much like the statue we talked about in the last episode. Exactly. Yeah. yeah the yeah, statue yeah. And Daniel. Yeah.
0: Um, so, so that's been obliterated to smithereens. <laughs> and there's a shiny new school in its place. I was there for the transition phase, right? So some of the new school had been built sure. but uh, some of the old school was still there, and so my there are all sorts of temporary hall, hallways and a lot of drywall things that we had uh, cement floors in the new hallways when I I think when I graduated. So it was uh so it's kind of interesting. It's like being Going forward in time, like, oh, it actually got built and they're all done, and, you know, <laughs> nice. but like going backward in time because some of the same, uh, some of the same teachers are there and
1: things. So sure. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. I know you enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Excellent. good. Good. Good place to be. Very yeah. happy to be there. Cool. We're, and we're glad to have you at St. Lambert's as well. So, uh, you and I have been, for several episodes now, uh, we've been talking, sort of commenting on Dr. Brant Petrie's fantastic book, The Case for Jesus, uh, which sort of is addressing questions about um, how do we know what Jesus said about himself? Are the gospels reliable? Who is Jesus? Um, In many ways, what what, um, this book is about. We've covered uh, about... Uh, well, over half the book now, about eight chapters. Could you just sort of briefly summarize what we've seen so far in this book? Absolutely, yeah. We, we uh, see in Brant
0: Petrie's book, which is great, by the way, highly recommend it, The Case for Jesus. Um, we see just that, the case for Jesus uh, and, and the reliability of the, of the accounts we have of him, uh, specifically the four Gospels, right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <clears throat> And these are ancient biographies of this man who claimed it to be God, and Brent Petrie does an excellent job of explaining what that uh, what that literary genre is, the ancient biography, uh, why they're reliable historically, um, why there's good reason to believe they were written pretty early, pretty close to the the life and the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, and. Uh, and what they say about him, you know, what, what claim they're making about him, uh, which is where we're, where we're at right now. Right. So, so the, the book, you could say the book is all about the question, did Jesus claim to be God? Okay. And, uh, and that's exactly what we're going to look at in these next two episodes of Ignition. Did okay. Jesus claim to be, ga- to be God? To be Gad. 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 He's an like a mission the, from Gad. Uh, sorry. <laughs> slipped up. That's like, um. You know John Wayne at the end of uh, the greatest story ever told. Did you see the greatest story? I've never seen the greatest story. Oh no. boy, it's the greatest story but ever told. I, I, I got yeah. that. but what it's about? What's yeah. it about? <laughs> so you know, all you know, the celebrities were sort of clamoring to be in uh, to be in this movie, and so John Wayne got a part uh, as the centurion. You might remember at the crucifixion, and there's this thunderclap when Jesus dies, and and then you hear his gravelly. Uh, unadulterated voice, you know, truly this man was the son of God. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, maybe I just slipped into the, my th- John Wayne for a little I bit. I thought it
1: was the I thought it was your Dan Aykroyd or John Belushi. Oh, no, no. no. the Blues Brothers were on a mission from Gad. That's what it, it, that was kind of a, a Gad that I heard when you said that. Yeah, no, uh, no, right. well, no. Okay, there we go. Okay. So, <laughs> so
0: that's what we're going to do. I'm going to try to keep talking to We're going to move on. Uh, um, pronounce my words yes,
1: correctly. Cr- that, that'd be great. Uh, so we're looking here today, this episode, at uh, chapter nine of of uh, Dr. Petrie's book, uh, which is about did Jesus think he was God and, and what we see in, in light of what Jesus did. Next episode, right. we'll be looking at what he said, but now we're looking at what he did, right? Right, right. Okay.
0: And this question is really, uh, really central, right? Because if Jesus claimed to be God, then we we have to deal with that. We only have three options, right? Either he claimed to be God and wasn't, uh, which would make him either crazy or a liar, an mm-hmm. incredibly deceitful person, um, or he claimed to be God and he was, mm-hmm. which would... Mean that he's the Lord, and like C.S. Lewis writes, we should fall down at his feet and worship him. Um, and so, uh, and yet, his divinity is not always apparent. You know, he doesn't just show up in the Gospels saying, "Hey, everybody, look over here! I'm God. Right? Look right. at this. Isn't this right. cool? Right?" Um, and so, because it's not, it's not proclaimed in this sort of obvious, uh, pedantic sort of way. Uh, many scholars have argued against Jesus' divinity, saying, "Well, he never actually claimed that. That was a later interpretation or, or uh, modification of Jesus' teaching. He didn't claim to be God. He taught about God, but but he didn't say that he was. And the reason they do that is they fail to interpret Jesus in a Jewish context." Okay right? So, they, they, they read about his deeds and they read his words, but they don't see them in the light of the, the Old Testament and the, the history of Israel, and so they miss the point, right? But everybody living around Jesus who saw him and heard him pretty much was Jewish or was familiar with a Jewish cultural context, and so they got it, right? They got the claim. They understood what he was claiming. So, we'll get into uh, the deeds, some deeds of Jesus in this episode that uh, that show his claim to
1: be the Lord, the God of Israel. I think it was to do that, just going back to something that we we mentioned um, in the last couple of episodes, I just want to touch on it briefly. Again, this just demonstrates um, understanding the the Jewish context of who Jesus is, Jesus is, and therefore the Old Testament context of the Gospels. The Gospels were not written in a vacuum. The Gospels were written in light of the Old Testament. The, if the New Testament entirely was written in light of the Old Testament, oh, explaining yeah. who Jesus did or who Jesus was, what he did, what he said, um, the implications of all that, and it's all in the context of the Jewish background.
0: Absolutely. So the first thing uh, I'd like to look at is the the stilling of the storm, famous miracle that that it's mis- Jesus mis- works. Alliteration. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You kind of got me on a, on yeah. a kick. Yeah. Uh, we find we find the episode of the uh, of the storm, Jesus in the boat. Uh, in the Synoptic Gospels. Let's look at Mark 4. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them, just as he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. And a great storm of wind arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care if we perish? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and sea obey him? So Jesus, here in Mark 4, works a miracle, calms the sea mm-hmm. and the wind. Mm-hmm. In itself, that's pretty impressive. I've never done anything like that. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that that the person who does a miracle works a miracle is is divine. Sure, right? It's God Himself? Uh, Moses stretches out his hand in Exodus fourteen, and the ro- and the and the Red Sea parts. But nobody falls down and worships Moses as right. God. Right? He's still just a man, and that happens uh, other places, other miracles throughout throughout the scriptures. Right? Sure. Uh, But what's different there are a few things that are different about jesus uh miracle here that point to something more that this is something more than a man uh and the first is that that in the jewish understanding the jewish scriptures god's power is constantly shown in how he controls the wind and the sea Mm. right so in the book of job uh they're describing God's power. And it says the, he- the pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. That's Job 26, right? So it describes God rebuking, uh, rebuking the heavens and the powers in the heavens, the winds, and stilling the sea with his power. And then Psalm 104, which uh, also refers to, to God making the winds his messengers and covering the earth with waters. And then it says, at your rebuke, they fled that's the, the waters of the earth. At the sound of thy thunder, they took to flight. So, mm. so again, God rebuking these elemental forces. And in Psalm 106, he rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. So God rebuking the waters, God sort of has this power in the in the Jewish uh, literature to do this. And okay. it's exactly what Jesus does. It's even the same verb. He rebuked the, the wind, right? But there's another Jewish scripture um, that even more specifically applies uh, to this miracle. And that's, okay. that's the 107th Psalm. And this is a, a long psalm that, that goes through uh, different cases of deliverance, episodes in which God delivers his people, delivers those that cry out to him. And uh, and one section of this psalm, starts at verse 23, deals with, God saving people who are who are on the sea in ships. Hmm. okay um, I'll just read through that psalm and just note the parallels between this psalm that describes what God does and the gospel passage we just read that describes what Jesus does. okay right Note how it puts God and Jesus in parallel. Their action are their action is parallel. So Psalm 107, Verse 23 and on goes, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. So already, notice the parallels, right? Um, The storm... The multiple ships, you know, Mark's account mentions that there are a number of ships on the waters mm, here. Yep. The storm, uh, they, they were at their wits end, okay? And so, in the gospels, it had said that that the disciples were uh, were afraid, right? Right. right. It also
1: says it in Describes Psalm, their, their, their courage yeah. melts away. So right.
0: Yeah. Right. And then what do they do? In the Psalm, it says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Okay. And what do we see in the gospels? They cried to Jesus. They say, teacher, do you not care if we perish? Right. So they, uh, in the, in the Psalm, the sailors cry out to God in the, in the gospel account, the disciples cry to Jesus. Mm. Right. So Jesus takes the place of, of God. He right. is the one that they cry to. And what happens They, too, are delivered from these elemental forces that that threaten to destroy them. Gotcha. Right? So this is a great episode in which we see, when we look at the the Old Testament context, the Jewish context, we see that Jesus is in the the position of of God himself. And in case you missed the point, the disciples helpfully ask a a question at the end that (laughs) is meant to get you there. Right. They say, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And as a reader, we're invited to ask the same question. Who is this? Who is this that can do this, that does the things that only God does?
1: Amen. Right. If you're just tuning in and you're listening to Ignition, a broadcast for the New Evangelization, I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald. Well, Father Joseph Schultons across the table from me. And we're talking about chapter 9 of, of Dr. Brandt Petrie's book, The Case for Jesus. And we're seeing how through Jesus' deeds such as this episode that we've just been looking at from Mark chapter 4, the calming of the, of the, sea, the storm in the sea. From Jesus' deeds, we see an indication of who he is, God himself. Father, what's the next episode you want to look at in the Gospels? We'll
0: look at uh, the walking on water, this pretty, pretty famous uh, miracle that Jesus does. You know, even a right. person who's not really versed in Scripture might have some familiarity of right. Jesus walking on water, um, I think there's a scene in the movie Bruce Almighty where he's like skipping across the the sea. Right. Um not that I necessarily recommend. I don't know if I've seen that whole movie actually. But I think I did once, but I I don't even remember this episode from the Yeah, it, But anyway, it's known that this is like a God thing to yep. do, right? Yep. yep. It's on. a god thing to so, do. Well said. But it's not just a it's not just a cool trick that Jesus pulls out. Right? Okay. It's it's a it's an action that has deep roots in the old testament. Okay. So this appears actually in all four Gospels. Let's look at, uh, let's, let's read through the account in Mark chapter six. Okay. okay. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up into the hills to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were distressed in rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded mm. right why does jesus walk on the water besides just being a, a really practical <laughs> way to get to a boat that's on the sea when you don't have a boat right uh it's something walking on water is something that the god of israel does mm. it's something that uh is in the jewish scriptures is attributed to god mm. so book of job Speaking of the, the greatness of God, what he does, Job 9, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Lo, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. And what did it say? Jesus meant to pass by them. It wasn't right. like he, he was trying to trick them, right. but the same verb, the same word is applied both to God and to Jesus and what he's doing. And then in Psalm 77, which is describing the, the crossing of the Red Sea by Israel, it speaks to God and says, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. So God, again, treading on the water. Okay, so this is a divine prerogative. Mm. This is something that belongs to God to do in the, in the Jewish mentality. Right. And then Jesus does it. Right. Um, and then it says he meant to pass by them. It's kind of an interesting phrase I just made reference to, um, but it's the same thing that the God of Israel does when He appears to people, right? So, uh, in Exodus, Moses begs to see God's glory, and and God famously, you know, says, in "My face you cannot see, but you, I'll let you see my back." Mm. This is uh, Exodus thirty-three, and so He it says He passes by Moses and pronounces his name, his divine name. And then when he uh, appears to Elijah or speaks to Elijah, that tiny whispering sound in First Kings 19, uh, Elijah, the prophet, has been persecuted. He's uh, He's gone into the desert. He's made his way to Horeb, the mountain of God. And again, it says God passed by him, right? So when it says Jesus meant to pass by them, it wasn't like he was trying to sneak around them. Like they couldn't see him no it's it's a divine way of revealing himself from the Old Testament that Jesus takes and uses for himself and then finally, what does Jesus say to them as they uh, as they see him in the on the water and they're terrified He says, take heart, I am right, right. He could just be saying hey, it's me right oh, don't worry it's it's nobody else out here walking on the walking on the water just me Jesus just, just yep nothing to see here. But uh but there's something more profound about uh, about him saying that he's saying I am, you know, ego ami in the Greek. And that's the that's the that's the Greek translation of God's own name. Mm. You know, when he when he passes by Moses again in Exodus 33, God pronounces his name, Yahweh. Oh.
1: The the burning bush as well, right? And in the burning bush, yeah, God
0: reveals his name Yahweh, yep. I am. I am who am. I am the God who is. So Jesus uses that same phrase to identify himself here. Again, another detail pointing to to him revealing slowly, not not in this really direct clamorous way, but a, a, but slowly he reveals to them his identity. Okay. Right. This event isn't just a it's not just a miracle or a cool trick. It's a it's a
1: theophany, which is a word meaning a revelation of God himself. Right. A revelation. Yep. So an unveil yeah a manifestation manifestation of the other words kind of a manifestation of, of of his divinity yeah exactly and again in case you missed it
0: the disciples <laughs> reaction is helpful in understanding like how we're supposed to interpret this walking on the water it says in Matthew's account Matthew 1433 those in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the Son of God
1: right. So it's pretty clear, <laughs> pretty clear indication again of his, that, that they understood what was going on, that God is present. He's revealing himself to us. Okay. Father, we've got only got about, um, five minutes or so left in this episode. Why don't we move on to the final episode? Great. This is a good one. The, uh, <clears throat> the
0: transfiguration. This is maybe the, the most clear event showing Jesus divinity in the gospels. Okay. And this appears in the synoptics. What are the synoptics? The synoptics would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So gospels that share a lot of similar characteristics and outline. Here's the account in Mark 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became glistening intensely white as no fuller on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them... Elijah with Moses and they were talking to Jesus. This is a great passage. It's got a lot of meaning packed into it, but because of the, the time, I just want to focus on, on that detail, Moses and Elijah. Okay. Right. Why would Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus on this mountain? Right. Um, and there are different theories thrown around, but, uh, Maybe the best explanation is the one that that Brant Petrie gives in this book that uh that Moses and Elijah have something in common in the Old Testament. They lived centuries apart um in different different times, different places. But uh but what they had in common was they both experienced God on mountains but were unable to see him face to face, right? So they had they each had this Revelation of God on a mountain that was that was powerful and profound and yet not complete. right So in Exodus 33, I've made reference to it uh, just a, just a minute ago, Moses begs God, He makes this request of God, let me see your glory and uh, and God, Gives him a glimpse, but he, he covers Moses with his hand as mm-hmm. Moses hides in the cleft right. in the rock, and right. and uh, and allows just a glimpse of his back. And he says, "You cannot see my face, for fa- for man shall not see me and live." Right? And then, you know, centuries later, on Mount Horeb, Elijah uh, is is summoned by God when he hears that tiny whispering sound, and he goes out where God is passing by on the mountain. But he says he, he wraps his face in his mantle. So, Mm -hmm. so Elijah goes out and he's got his, you know, he's got his hood or his cloak, whatever, all tied around his face. So he can't see. So God is revealing himself. And yet, and yet that revelation is partial. It's not complete. Right. Right. These, these men, these are men who die in expectation, who die without seeing fulfillment. You know, they've given their whole lives to God. And yet there's still more of God. They don't quite have all of him yet. Right. They die in that waiting. <clears throat> well, on the transfiguration, they finally get to see what they couldn't. They finally get to see God face to face. The Pope Emeritus wrote a book, Jesus of Nazareth, and commenting on the transfiguration, he writes... It's Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict. Benedict thanks. Uh, Pope Benedict wrote, Jesus' faith, face shines from within... At the Transfiguration he does not simply receive light but he himself is light from light and so so God is revealing himself through this man in Jesus of Nazareth uh, and then there are other details at the Transfiguration like the cloud which uh, and the voice of God <clears throat> the Father they, they reinforce Jesus identity identity that he is the Son of
1: God right. so so this episode is sort of a final culmination. Well, no, that's not fair. Uh, for our purposes, it's the third, the final culmination in this episode of, of how we see in what Jesus does, um, things that happen uh, through him, by him, around him even in this case, that he is himself God. Would that be a, a fair summary?
0: Exactly. Exactly. And so again, he doesn't go around shouting, hey, everybody, look, I'm God. Instead, he's inviting them to, to observe, to recognize, to, to consider, and then to take seriously what they see, what's happening to them, to recognize its divine origin, to recognize the truth of
1: who he is shining, coming forth in what he does. So, um, in the next episode, we're going to, we're going to look at Jesus's words, um, about who he is, but what we see here again, um, sort of commenting on the content of chapter 9 in Dr. Petrie's book. What we see here in this chapter, uh, what we've been discussing in this episode, is how in these three particular miracles, Jesus's divine uh, status, his ad- divine identity, rather, is revealed and it's established by what, again, he does and says in light of what we said at the outset of the Old Testament. So um, we got just about a minute left, Father. What, what's sort of the takeaway, f- would you say, for the, our listeners with this?
0: Yeah, I think the, I mean, the takeaway is uh, going back to that idea of, of divine pedagogy, right? The way that God deals with us and reveals himself to humanity. And he does so in a very gentle way, in a very human way, right? He doesn't force himself on us. And Jesus, when he was going around preaching and teaching, he didn't force himself on people. He didn't force them to recognize who he was. He gave them clues. Uh, he gave them evidence. You know, he showed that he was God by doing things that only God could do. Right. Um, and from there, Christian faith in the Trinity developed. You know that that oh my gosh, if if he's God too, then there must be there must be somehow two in God. Even though God's only one, there's got to be some sort of Uh, plurality in him. And of course, we recognize now uh,
1: that truth, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit revealed fully in Jesus. Amen. And that's a perfect way to wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us ignition at sfcatholic.org or tweet at us at SFDiocese. Use the hashtag Ignition with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. Until next
0: time, may the Holy Trinity bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.